Hello and welcome. I'm Emily. And I'm Gemma. In this two-part podcast series, we're going to be looking at the six women who married Henry VIII. Catherine of Aragon, Anne Boleyn and Jane Seymour will be the focus of the first podcast. And then in the second podcast, Emily will be looking at Anne of Cleves, Catherine Howard and Catherine Parr. The reason we're going to be looking at these women in detail is because they shaped England, bore future monarchs, lived, loved and deserved to be remembered as more than one word in the rhyme, divorced, beheaded, died, divorced, beheaded, survived, which Hayley Nolan points out is a delightful way to trivialise 38 years of collective trauma, misery and murder. So before we get on to the women themselves, for anyone not familiar, who was Henry VIII? Henry was born on the 28th of June, 1491, to Henry VII of England and Elizabeth of York. Despite becoming one of history's most notorious royals, he was never meant to be king, but the death of his older brother Arthur in 1502 changed that. When his father died on the 21st of April, 1509, Henry took the throne and ruled until his death on the 28th of January, 1547. Whilst as king, Henry was an important figure. This isn't about him, nor are we going to continue the trend of pitting these women against each other. At time. Right. Who was his first wife? That would be Catherine of Aragon. Okay. Tell us about Catherine. Catherine was born on the 16th of December, 1485, to King Ferdinand II of Aragon and Isabella of Castile, who, fun fact, are credited with creating the Spanish Inquisition, which was responsible for the deaths of between three and 5,000 people for anti-Catholicism over the course of three centuries. Catherine was raised Catholic and remained devout throughout her life. Despite the fact she was a girl, her parents ensured that she received top-rate education. She was fluent in Latin, Spanish, Greek and French and well-read in religion, philosophy, history and heraldry. Besides her academic education, she learned domestic skills such as sewing, dancing, cooking, courtly manners and etiquette and owing to her parents' military campaigns against other religions, she learned administrative and wartime skills. When it came to finding a husband for their daughter, Ferdinand and Isabella had many offers to consider, but settled on betrothing her to Arthur Tudor. This match was advantageous for both families, but especially for Henry. Catherine was of English descent through her mother Isabella, who was a descendant of Edward III of England, and this would help him legitimise his own reign. She also came with a large dowry of 200,000 crowns, which is around 5 million in today's money, which would be paid in two instalments. So when did she arrive in England? After a catalogue of delays, such as illness and bad weather, Catherine arrived in Plymouth on the 2nd of October, 1501. From there, she was escorted by the King's men to Lambert Palace in London, where she arrived on the 9th of November. Once she arrived, Catherine and Arthur were married on the 14th of November, 1501, at St Paul's Cathedral, where she was walked down the aisle by Henry Tudor. Their marriage was cause for celebration and Henry VII certainly spared no expense. While celebrations were raging across London, Catherine and her new husband were shown to their marriage bed, which had been prepared by Arthur's grandmother, Lady Margaret Buffalt. How do you prepare a marriage bed? Lady Margaret sprinkled the bed with holy water. And then once Catherine and Arthur were in the bed, it was blessed by the Bishop of London and only then were they left alone. The next morning... Quote, Arthur boasted that he'd consummated his marriage with Catherine. The question about whether that actually happened is one that would be important throughout her life. It's a very strange idea when you compare it to today, isn't it? Where did the couple go afterwards? Arthur and Catherine moved to Ludlow Castle on the Welsh border, but tragedy struck 
just four months later when they fell ill, possibly with sweating sickness. Whilst Catherine would eventually recover, Arthur died and Catherine was left a widow. For Henry VII, this was a disaster. Not only was his son and heir dead, but he risked losing the political advantages that came from uniting with the Spanish house. And if Catherine returned to Spain, he would have to repay the first half of her dowry and wouldn't be able to claim the second half. So what happened to Catherine after Arthur's death? Catherine remained in England, but it was not a happy time for her. She was in a new country, away from her family, and now without the protection of her husband. Furthermore, as a widow, she was left in the wardship of her father-in-law, Henry VII, but his treatment of her was far from kind. She struggled to afford to feed her household and clothe herself, and as head of her household, she was expected to provide for her servants, and her destitute situation would have been of great embarrassment to her, especially as the servants she had brought with her from Spain were forced to endure her suffering. Having written to her father about her situation, he made her the ambassador of the Argonese crown in England 1507, making her the first known female ambassador in European history and providing her with an income which is a really cool fact that I did not know about Catherine of Aragon until we started researching this so I'm angry at myself for not knowing it it is pretty cool but I think like we'll find out like a lot of facts about these women kind of buried underneath the rest of it yeah hidden under all the propaganda definitely so why would Henry the seventh not be kind to Catherine Well, things between Spain and England were tense over Catherine's dowry. Ferdinand wouldn't pay the second half and Henry didn't want Catherine to to return to Spain because, as I said before, that means he'd have to pay back the first half and wouldn't get the second half. And it's a lot of money. So Henry needed Catherine to remain in England. He just wasn't sure what to do with her. Queen Elizabeth had died in 1503 and As such, Henry actually considered marrying Catherine himself, but her father was against it and issues over the legitimacy of any children that might come from their marriage ended that idea. A solution was reached when it was decided that she would marry his second son, Henry. But negotiations dragged on and left many fearing the marriage would not take place. So what what were the issues with that? Well, Catherine's mother, Isabella, had died in 1504, and this meant that Catherine's, quote, value in the marriage market decreased. As Castile was a larger kingdom than Aragon, and it was inherited by Catherine's elder sister, Joanna, the wedding was also supposed to be delayed until Henry, who was five years younger than Catherine, was of age. And as such, Ferdinand continued to procrastinate over payment of the remainder of Catherine's dowry. Throughout all of this, Catherine lived as a virtual prisoner at Durham House in London. Furthermore, before the marriage could take place, a dispensation was needed from the Pope as canon law forbade a man to marry his brother's widow unless the marriage was not consummated. Catherine testified that her marriage to Arthur was never consummated and the disposition was granted by Pope Julius II. We obviously know that she married Henry VIII, but when did that happen? Catherine and Henry, who by now was king after his father's death, married on the 11th of June 1509 in a private ceremony in the Church of the Observant Friars outside of Greenwich Palace. Catherine was 23 and Henry was 18. The couple were anointed and and crowned together by the Archbishop of Canterbury at a lavish ceremony held at Westminster Abbey on the 24th of June 1509. Afterwards, there were many parties and social occasions for the new queen, and Catherine, quote, made a fine impression and was well received by the people of England. 
What was their marriage like? Early years of their marriage seemed to have been happy with the Count suggesting that the two had real affection for each other. Henry certainly trusted her. In 1513, whilst he was in France on a military campaign, he made Catherine his regent. This gave her the power to summon troops, appoint sheriffs, sign warrants, and to get money from the treasurer of the chamber. A month into her regency, King James IV of Scotland declared war on England. Now, whilst some queens might have retreated to safety and left the defence of the country to earls, Catherine mobilised forces across England and rode towards the battle despite being heavily pregnant. Peter Martyr reports that the Queen, quote, in imitation of her mother Isabella, addressed her troops, compelling them to defend their territory and remember that English courage excelled that of all other nations. On the 9th of September, the two armies met and after an afternoon of great slaughter, some 10,000 Scots including King James himself, were dead and the English were victorious. Three days after the battle, Catherine wrote to Henry, quote, To my thinking, this battle hath been to your grace and all your realm, the greatest honour that could be, and more than should you win all the crown of France. She also included a blood-soaked piece of James's surcoat for Henry's banners. Not that this is the trophy she initially wanted to send. What what is she wanting to send? Only James's embalmed body, no biggie. However, when this wasn't possible, she lamented that quote, our Englishman's hearts would not suffer it. Too squeamish. So you mentioned she was pregnant during this battle. Yeah, sadly she went into labour early and gave birth to us to a boy who died shortly after being born. How many pregnancies did she have although debated and some historians will give different figures most agree that she was pregnant six times but only had one surviving child the future mary the first who was born at 4 a.m on the 18th of february 1516 so she didn't give henry a son no but henry had a son albeit an illegitimate one from an affair with elizabeth bessie blout one of Catherine's ladies-in-waiting. The boy was named Henry Fitzroy, which literally meant son of the king. And in 1525, Henry bestowed the title of Duke of Richmond and Somerset and Earl of Nottingham upon his son and began to believe, quote, God was punishing the royal couple through not giving them a surviving male heir. As well as Henry's frustrations at only having a daughter, another had caught his eye. Anne Boleyn. And this would lead to a period of rivalry for the position of Queen and the creation of the Church of England. So what did he do about it then? In 1527, Henry sent representatives to Rome to discuss the King's great matter with the new Pope, Clement VII. He requested an annulment claiming that their marriage was not legitimate because Catherine had been married to his brother Arthur. By annulling the marriage, it would have been as if the marriage had never happened. This would have made Mary illegitimate. Clement refused to admit that the marriage was illegitimate. Although Henry's timing wasn't the best, as at the time the Pope was the prisoner of Catherine's nephew, the Holy Roman Emperor Charles V, who had sacked Rome in May 1527. Not wanting to give up or take no for an answer, Henry then put the matter into the hands of Cardinal Wolseley, who convened an ecclesiastical court in England with a representative of the Pope presiding. Both Henry and Catherine were in attendance and during the meeting, Catherine got down on her knees and begged Henry not to go ahead with the annulment. Those who witnessed the scene claimed, quote, Henry was nonplussed by what she had done. Catherine then left the chamber and refused to return, even though she was ordered to do so. 
She later told her counsellors that, quote, as a loyal queen and wife, she was angered by her own actions as she had disobeyed her husband and that she regretted doing so. The Pope had no intention of allowing a decision to be reached in England, so recalled his legate and forbade Henry to marry again until a decision was given in Rome. So Catherine didn't want the divorce? No. And her resistance surprised Henry. I mean, he knew she wouldn't be happy about it, but he expected her to be passive. And I can never quite work that out. After everything we've just learned about her, it doesn't seem like passive would have been where she would have gone. However, Catherine was convinced that her marriage to Henry was legal, as proven by the Pope's dispensation, which to a Catholic would mean it was sanctioned by the highest authority on earth. So if the Pope hadn't been Charles's prisoner, would he have allowed the annulment? I mean, it is impossible to say, but Catherine was a devout Catholic and so was her entire family and her sisters had married important men as well so it's it's difficult to say because there was always going to be a military pressure put on the pope whichever way he went so in all of this did Catherine have any supporters yes John Fisher became her most trusted counsellor and one of her chief supporters he was the one who appeared in the the legate court on her behalf other supporters were Thomas More. Charles V, as we know, Pope Paul III, and Henry's own sister, Mary Tudor. Catherine was very popular with the people who saw her as being virtuous, the opposite of what many thought of Anne Boleyn at the time. She was so popular that a representative of her nephew, Charles V, attempted to persuade her that a successful rebellion against Henry could be organised, but Catherine was against it and wrote Charles personally to instruct him to ignore this advice. So how did Henry get his divorce? Thomas Cramer, who Henry made Archbishop of Canterbury, and the King's influential advisor, Thomas Cromwell, both of whom were Protestants, provided him with what he needed by building a convincing case that England's King should not be subject to the Pope's authority. On the 23rd of May, 1533, a special court was convened at Dunstable Priory to rule on the validity of Henry's marriage to Catherine. Cranmer declared the marriage illegal and five days later ruled Henry and Anne's marriage as valid. The following year, Parliament passed the Act of Supremacy, which solidified the break from the Catholic Church and made the King the supreme head of the Church of England. How did Catherine take Henry's new marriage? With more class and dignity than I would, that's for sure. Throughout her life, she refused to recognise the legitimacy of Henry's actions and considered herself to be queen. She even refused to send Anne Boleyn her crown jewels when she asked for them. That's a kind of passive-aggressive move I live for. How did Henry treat her? Not well. By 1535, Catherine had no lands, no money and few allies, despite being related to one of the most powerful families in Europe. She was sent to live in Kimbolton Castle, and kept away from her daughter Mary, even when it was clear she was close to the end of her life. Henry refused her the right to any title, but Dowager Princess of Wales in recognition of her position as his brother's widow. By now, Catherine was in ill health, only leaving her chamber to hear mass. Aware that her death was near, she wrote her will and entrusted the care of Mary to her nephew, Charles V, and wrote a final letter to Henry in which she asked him to look after Mary and her servants after her passing. Catherine died on the 8th of January 1536, surrounded by her servants. She was buried at Peterborough Cathedral in a ceremony befitting her status as Dowager Princess of Wales. I mean, where do you even start with it? It started off so well. It's fun, isn't it? Like, I don't want to 
pit these women against each other because that's not right. No. But, like, you read it and you're like, oh, I'm definitely Team Catherine. And then you go on and read about Anne Boleyn or James, and you, you start to see that all of these women were nothing more than an incubator to give birth to the king's son. Yeah, that's all they want. That's all he wanted. That's what caused like the problem the fact- to start with, was the fact that he that Catherine wasn't able to give him that one thing that he needed, I guess. I mean, she definitely got off lightly in comparison to others. Oh, 100%. But it's like women had a value that had nothing to do with them. It was how much they could bring to the marriage in land, in money, in alliances. And if they could have a son, that was it. That's all they were worth. Yeah. So many cool facts about Catherine. And I feel like we don't know any of them. History kind of did a PR stunt on her. And all we know is that she's this woman that refused to accept the fact that Henry didn't want to be married to her anymore. Yeah. You know, she's almost painted in some sources as a liar, um, you know, because she'd slept with Arthur. But she maintained throughout her life that she never actually consummated her marriage with him. And they weren't married for very long. No. Obviously, what really happened, we'll never know. If they hadn't have done it, he would have left that room and been like, oh, no, it didn't happen last night, boys. That, exactly. You wouldn't do that. You're meant to be the next king. You'd be coming out. Mm. You know, like, oh, yeah. After Arthur's death, she had to suffer the indignity of an exam to see if she was pregnant. Yeah. And, you know, we're talking Tudor medicine, so it's not mm. like all she had to do was take a test. I hate the fact that she was kept away from her daughter. It's like the ultimate punishment. Yeah. Even when she knew, she, even when they knew the end of her life was near, she begged to be able to see Mary once more, and it it was she was told no, so she never got to see her. It's just a really awful thing to do. But I mean, you know, let's set up for the rest of the awful things that Henry would then go on to do. Oh yeah. Right then. So, who came next? Next, or a little bit at the same time, I guess, was Anne Boleyn. Tell us about Anne then. Unlike Catherine, little is known about Anne's childhood. Why do we know less about her childhood then? Well, Anne was from a lower social class than Catherine. So there's little interest in her as a child. And this isn't unique to just Anne Boleyn. Most women who are not part of royal families were ignored in sources until their marriages. I see. Okay. So what do we know about Anne then? Anne's date of birth is debated, but historians agree that it was sometime between 1501 and 1507. She was the daughter of Sir Thomas Boleyn and Elizabeth Howard, whose father was the Duke of Norfolk. Along with her siblings, Mary and George, she resided at Hever Castle in Kent. Anne has been described as fiercely intelligent, and in 1513, her father used his friendship to secure her a place in the court of the Archduchess Margaret of Austria to finish her education. However, the 16th century propagandist Nicholas Sander created this story that rather than being sent away for her education, Anne was sent as punishment after her father caught her in bed with the family butler and the chaplain. So as you can see, telling Anne's story is not going to be straightforward because we have to separate fact from fiction. I thought... She was at the French court. She was, but not until the end of 1514. At the end of 1514, Henry VIII's 18-year-old sister, Mary Tudor, was sent to marry 52-year-old King Louis of France in a bid to, quote, settle their political differences with a marital alliance. As Anne's French was so accomplished, it was requested that she join the French court. 
The Archduchess was reluctant to lose Anne, so her, her arrival at the French court was delayed until the start of 1515. As a result, she spent hardly any time serving Mary, as just after 82 days of marriage, King Louis died on the 1st of January 1515. Thomas Boleyn was able to arrange for Anne to remain as lady-in-waiting to the new Queen Claude. Queen Claude was renowned for her piety and keeping her household apart from that of her scandalous husband. And as such, Anne was educated in a strict code of conduct and the highest moral standards. Anne remained at the court of Queen Claude until December 1521 when she was recalled to England. Now, this idea of Anne being brought up around strict morals certainly doesn't fit with the Hollywood image we have of her as a loose woman who schemed her way to the throne. So why was she recalled from France? Though some have suggested it was because war between France and England was brewing, it's more likely it's because a marriage match had been arranged for her. So who was she meant to marry then? She was meant to marry a wealthy courtier named James Butler. The marriage was designed to kill two birds with one stone. First, it was to unite the sides of Anne's family who were at loggerheads over the title of the Earl of Ormond, and second, to keep James, who was a valuable courtier in Cardinal Wolseley's household in London, rather than him being sent home to Ireland. Whilst details of their marriage were being debated, Anne made her debut at the Tudor Court, where she made quite the splash. Hayley Nolan writes, quote, Anne's personality is said to have stood out at court because she actually possessed one. She was said to have been a fan of lively conversation at a time when to give a simple smile was considered the height of intelligence. No wonder historians accuse her of shamelessly flirting with every man she encountered. She was probably the first woman who talked back and held eye contact when a quick glance to the side was all the fashion. We have to remember that when Anne joined the court, anti-French sentiment was high. So those French influences would have set her apart from others. And so that a lot of these flirtations might have just been her attempting to fit in. But sadly, that's led to centuries of speculation about affairs she may have had with men of the court, starting with the poet, diplomat and ambassador to Rome, Thomas Wyatt. What happened between her and Thomas then? Well, Thomas was said to have been utterly smitten with Anne, owing to the, her, quote, witty and graceful speech. But he was also married. Now, it's probable that Anne flirted with him, as was common at the time of courtly love. We know they wrote each other poems, which some take as evidence for an affair. But it's doubtful it went any further than that. George Wyatt, the grandson of Thomas, wrote, quote, Anne was not likely to cast her eyes upon one who had been married 10 years. Risking everything for an affair with a man that had no future certainly doesn't seem to fit with Anne's personality. Not that he took no for an answer and pursued Anne for many years until it became clear that the king had designs upon her. So was that the only man that she was connected with? No, she was also linked to Henry Percy. Hayley Noland suggests that Anne wanted to rise in the ranks so she could help the so-called reformation that was rousing a new generation of activists. As a woman, the only way Anne would be able to make an impact was through marriage to a high-ranking noble. I mean, as a woman, it's not like she could rise through the ranks of Parliament or get a position in the court. And James Butler just was not going to give her the rank she needed. So when she caught the eye of Henry Percy, who was the direct heir to the earldom of Northumberland, this was a match she was very much interested in pursuing. And so she and Percy did something highly controversial that would cause an uproar in the court 
and come back to haunt them many times over the years. They attempted to arrange their own marriage match, but they were fighting a losing battle. Both of them were already betrothed, Anne to Butler and Percy to Mary Talbot, and both matches had been personally approved by the king. Furthermore, Percy's father disapproved, as he didn't think she was of high enough social rank to marry her son. And when Percy tried to win him round, he was told that if he was to go through with the marriage to Anne, he would be disinherited. This threat did the trick, and Percy was quick to concede defeat, reluctantly following through with his commitment to marry Mary Talbot the following year. What did Anne think of that? Don't know for sure, but Hayley Nolan, who I'm quoting once again because her book on Anne Boleyn is amazing, suggests that with her personality, Anne would have no doubt fought the decision. We know that the king decided it would be best if she was, quote, sent home again to her father for a season to cool the rebellious romance down. And whilst at Heber Castle, Anne was said to have, quote, smoked so angry was she at being placed under what must have felt like house arrest. By the time Anne returned to court, the butlers had given up on any hope of a marriage between her and James. So Anne found herself at court, unattached and ready to find a marital alliance of worth. Anne was a lady-in-waiting to Queen Catherine, and from around 1526, Henry began his pursuit of her. But she put up more resistance than the king was expecting. How was Henry trying to woo her? He wrote her love letters, gave her gifts, and visited her home of Heber Castle. In one letter, he wrote, quote, If you give yourself up, heart, body and soul to me, I will take you for my only mistress, rejecting from thought and affection all others save yourself to serve only you. However, Anne replied, quote, Your wife I cannot be, both in respect of mine own unworthiness and also because you have a queen already. Your mistress I will not be. Why would she turn down the king? I mean, you're right, it seems odd because even a king's mistress had status. But a couple of theories have been suggested as to why Anne turned him down. Firstly, Henry had had an affair with her sister Mary and was possibly the father of Mary's two children. Mary was even referred to as the king's whore. Another reason suggested by George Wyatt is, quote, the love she bare the queen who she served. We tend to think that Anne didn't have any affection for Catherine and she was later said to have celebrated Catherine's death. So whether or not she did actually care for the Queen is is kind of debatable, but it's certainly not something I've ever considered, thanks in part to the PR campaign that was done on her. And another reason is that old killjoy of not believing in sex outside of marriage. Sex with Henry could have led to pregnancy And Anne had no husband to hide behind, so a pregnancy would have completely ruined her reputation and prevented her from being able to further the religious causes. But eventually she did return the king's affection. Yes, but we have to remember that King Henry had all of the power, and not just over Anne's life at court, but over the careers of her father and brother as well. So it's not like she could be direct in her rejection. February 1526, at the Shrove-type Shrove tied joust henry made a public declaration of love for anne by riding out into the field displaying the picture of a man's heart in a press with flames around it accompanied by the motto declare i dare not this would have told everyone including anne and catherine how serious henry was about her clearly henry's wooing worked and the two married in a secret ceremony 
on the 14th of November 1532. Anne became pregnant and a second wedding service was held on the 25th of January 1533 to legalise the first. In June, a heavily pregnant Anne was crowned Queen of England in a lavish ceremony. So was she the reason that Henry divorced Catherine? Whilst his attraction to her probably increased his desire to end his marriage, he was already making secret inquiries about divorce long before he met Anne. Remember, more than a young wife, Henry wanted a legitimate male heir. Or two. I mean, he understood that one could die and the second one would need to step up. I feel that's what happened to him. He seemed to believe that because Catherine had been married to his brother, their union was against God and as such would never produce a son. So Henry and Anne finally married. What was their marriage like? Well, it seems all the romance was pre-wedding. Just a year into their marriage, Henry had a sexual relationship with two of Anne's maids of honour, Madge Shelton and Jane Seymour. Unlike her predecessor, who knew of her husband's affairs but turned the other cheek, Anne was said to be enraged and became increasingly jealous. True to form, Henry blamed her inability to give him a son for his adulterous behaviour. Resentment and hostility between the two meant their marriage quickly fell apart. How many times was Anne pregnant? In total, it's believed she was pregnant four times. First pregnancy resulted in the birth of a daughter, the future Elizabeth, on the 7th of September, 1558. Her next pregnancy almost went to term and would have been a son had the child lived. Her last two pregnancies ended in miscarriage. Anne would have been aware that her failure to produce a male heir made her vulnerable because Henry now had the power to divorce divorce her and marry another, such as Lady Jane Seymour, who he was openly courting. When did things start going badly for Anne? In 1536, rumours began to spread around the court that Anne had been unfaithful to the king. At the end of April, her musician, Mark Smeaton, was arrested and under torture, he admitted to having relations with Queen Anne. After this, Sir Henry Norris, Sir Francis Weston, William Breton, a groom of the King, Sir Thomas Wyatt and Sir Richard Page were arrested for having relations with the Queen. Her own brother, George Boleyn, was also arrested but for incest. Thomas Wyatt and Richard Page were later released due to lack of evidence. The rest of the men were taken to the Tower of London to await their trial. So when was Anne arrested? Anne was arrested on the 2nd of May while she was watching a tennis match with her ladies. One of the men to arrest her was her own uncle, the Duke of Norfolk, who was a real stellar dude. She was taken to the Tower of London, and despite the popular legend that she arrived through Traitor's Gate, Anne was actually brought in through the royal's private entrance, the one she would have passed through for her coronation celebrations just three years earlier. Anne was greeted by the constable of the Tower, William Kingston, who took her to the Queen's apartments, where she would be held until her trial. So who was tried first? Breton, Weston, Norris and Smeaton were all tried at Westminster on the 12th of May 1536. All but Smeaton, who had confessed, albeit under torture, pled not guilty. However, they were found guilty of adultery and treason, which was not a surprise given that Cromwell selected a jury made up of men they either owed money to or had disagreements with. Having been found guilty, they were sentenced to be hanged, drawn and quartered, although this was later commuted to to beheading by acts as a royal favour. Hayley Nolan suggests that this was more because Cromwell felt guilty than because Henry was being merciful. Interesting, because from what we know about Henry, he doesn't seem the forgiving type. 
And you'd think that had these men actually slept with his wife and humiliated him and ruined his life, he'd want them to suffer. Just something to think about. Anne's trial was next. It took place in the King's Hall within the Tower of London on, on the 15th of May, 1536. She was charged with adultery, incest and high treason. Anne was accompanied by Lady Kingston and one of her aunts, Lady Boleyn. Anne was prepared. She knew that as the other men had been found guilty, she was going to be found guilty. So the trial was not about proving her innocence so much, but defending her name with as much dignity as possible. And in court, it said she remained level-headed and articulate, calmly and clearly denying the charges against her. The jury gave their guilty verdict one by one, and her uncle, the Duke of Norfolk, remember the stand-up guy who arrested her, even wept as he concluded that she'd been found guilty. Now, Anne expected to be found guilty, and maybe she expected to be sent off to a nunnery or exiled, she certainly didn't expect to be sentenced to death. She was to be burned or beheaded, as shall please the king. According to one source, Anne was said to have raised her eyes to the heavens, whilst another reported that she turned to the judges and said she would not dispute them, but believed there was some other reason for which she had been condemned. What Anne didn't know is that her execution had been called for before she even stood trial. On the 17th of May, her marriage to Henry was annulled and Elizabeth was declared illegitimate. George stood trial next. He too was found guilty and sentenced to death. So what happened to Anne after the trial? After her trial, Anne was comforted by her chaplain, John Skip, who stayed with her until 2am the following day. Her mood was said to change and Kingston reported she became, quote, divorced from reality. At one point, she allegedly told him that she wondered if Henry was doing all of this to test her and proposed that she should be sent to a nunnery in Antwerp. Whilst at other times, she seemed determined to die and mused darkly that she would become known as, quote, Queen Anne the Headless. When Kingston reassured her that she should not fear the execution, her response has gone down in history. Quote, I heard say the executioner was very good and I have very little neck, putting her hands around her neck to double check, at which point the grim ridiculousness of her measuring her own neck for decapitation hit her, and she dissolved into a disturbing fit of laughter. What happened at her execution? She was executed on the 19th of May, 1536. On the scaffold, she delivered her final speech, saying, Good Christian people, I have not come here to preach a sermon. I have come here to die. For according to the law... And by the law, I am judged to die, and therefore will speak nothing against it. I am come hither to accuse no man, nor speak of that whereof I am accused and condemned to die. But I pray God save the king, and send him long to reign over you. For a gentler nor a more merciful prince was there never. And to me, he was ever a good and gentle sovereign lord. If any person will meddle of my cause, I require thee to judge the best. And thus I take my leave of the world and of you all, and I heartily desire you all to pray for me. After this, her mantle and headdress were removed and replaced with a cap to ensure her hair was out of the way. Anne then forgave her executioner and paid him to do his job well. She then knelt down and as she was being blindfolded by one of the ladies, said her final prayer, to God I condemn my soul, to Christ I condemn my soul, Jesus receive my soul. The executioner then pulled his sword from its hiding place and signalled to his assistant to walk towards Anne. Hearing the noise, she turned her head and he swung the sword, removing her head with one stroke. One of her ladies picked up Anne's severed head and wrapped it in a cloth, 
whilst her other ladies wrapped her body in a sheet. Together, they carried her to the Royal Chapel of St Peter at Vicula, where her body was placed in an elm chest as no coffin had been provided and buried next to her brother George. Why was she executed with a sword and not an axe? Well, it wasn't because Henry was a nice chap, that's for sure. In fact, it was nothing more than a PR move. He needed to appear merciful and chivalric to his subjects. And when you consider we still talk about it being an act of mercy, it was certainly an effective move. Mm. Now, there's lots of stories about Anne, but did she actually have six fingers? No, not at all. We've looked at this a little bit before, but at the time, any blemish or birthmark or deformity was seen as the devil's mark or of signs of being a witch. If Anne had had six fingers, she would never have been at court, let alone caught Henry's eye. I mean, Henry was really superstitious. He would cross himself at the sound of thunder and interpreted any bad weather as a sign from God. So he would never have married Anne if she had an extra finger. I just find it mad how good like Tudor PR really was at the time. I know she wasn't popular with lots of people before they got married, so I guess that kind of carried through. But yeah, it is, isn't it, like? It worked scarily well. Like when you, like, like I said, the thing about the sword, mm. you, you know, the fact that we still think of that as, as Henry being merciful. Yeah. You know, if he was really merciful, when you when you think about it, if he was really merciful, he would have packed her off to a nunnery somewhere. Yeah. She no. didn't have to die. No. And like the fact that you think... Like it was enough to say that she like had an affair, but the amount of affairs, and then the fact that she apparently had sex with her own brother, like mm. over the top. Like how embarrassing for Henry is that? Like as well. Yeah, I mean they certainly went all out to make sure she was disgraced and gone. Yeah. But can you imagine how hard it was for the Boleyns? Like her, their their father Thomas Boleyn still needed to work so he couldn't openly go against the king but two of his children have just been killed at henry's whim from the minute she was arrested her fate was sealed because yeah and it all stems from the fact that she didn't give him a son Mm. okay so moving on from amberlin who was wife number three you've already met her jane seymour and she's been considered the only one henry ever actually loved okay tell us about jane well, a little bit like Anne Boleyn, Jane wasn't of a high noble class, so we don't know a lot about her childhood, but she was the daughter of Sir John Seymour and Marjorie Wentworth. Again, her date of birth isn't recorded, but is generally believed to be sometime in 1508. She was a descendant of King Edward III's son, Lionel of Antwerp, the first Duke of Clarence, making her and Henry fifth cousins. She also shared a great-grandmother, Elizabeth Tenney, with Anne Boleyn and Catherine Howard. Whilst Jane was not as highly educated as Catherine or Anne, with some sources suggesting she could only read and write her own name, she was much better at needlework, household management and gardening than either of her predecessors. How did she meet the king then? In the September of 1533, that's the same year he married Anne Boleyn for those keeping up, Henry visited the Seymour home and some believe that this is actually where she first caught his eye. True or not, by February 1534, rumours of an affair between Jane and the king spread throughout the court. And once Anne was out of the way, Henry wasted no time in making things official, and the two were married in a private ceremony on the 30th of May, 1536. 
Jane was publicly proclaimed queen on the 4th of June. However, unlike his two first wives, she was never officially crowned queen. Why not? Well, some believe it was because she died so soon after their marriage and her coronation had been delayed due to plague. However, there are others that state it was because Henry was waiting to see if Jane delivered the son and heir he desperately wanted. So what was she like? Jane was regarded as meek and chaste, which is thought to have been part of what attracted Henry to her. It was in stark contrast to his previous wives. Her motto as queen was a bound to obey and serve. John Russell called her a gentle a lady as ever I knew, and Ambassador Eustace Chaffees praised her for her peacemaking efforts at court. As queen, Jane was said to be strict and formal, banning the, quote, lavish entertainments, gaiety and extravagance of the Queen's household, which had reached its peak during the reign of Anne Boleyn. Her only reported involvement in national affairs happened in 1536, when she asked the King for pardons for participants in the Pilgrimage of Grace, to which Henry is said to have reminded her of the fate of her predecessor when she meddled in his affairs. Jane was popular with the common people and most of the courtiers, owing to her well-publicised sympathy for Catherine of Aragon and her stepdaughter Mary, who she had formed a close relationship with. She even tried to have Mary restored to court and to the royal succession behind any children she might have with Henry, but she was unsuccessful. So did she have children with Henry? Yes, by Christmas 1536, Jane was pregnant but suffered a miscarriage. In January of the following year, she was pregnant again. During her pregnancy, she she developed a craving for quail, which Henry ordered for her from Calais and Flanders. That summer, she retired from public engagements and was attended to by the best midwives in the kingdom. Jane entered confinement in September and gave birth to a son, the future King Edward VI, at two o'clock in the morning on the 12th of October 1537 at Hampton Court. Edward was christened on the 15th of October without his mother in attendance, as was tradition at the time. But Mary and Elizabeth were there and carried his coronation train during the ceremony. Finally, we've got a bit of happiness. Yeah, but it wasn't to last. Jane's labour had been difficult, lasting two days and three nights. And after the christening, it became clear that she was seriously ill. She died on the 24th of October, 1537 at Hampton Court Palace. She was buried in St George's Chapel at Windsor Castle on the 12th of November, 1537. Mary acted as her chief mourner and after the funeral, she led a procession of 29 mourners, one for every year of Jane's life. Jane was the only one of Henry's wives to receive a Queen's funeral. How did Henry react to Jane's death? He wore black for three months and put a lot of weight on, becoming obese and developing diabetes and gout. It was be two years before he married again and when he died in 1547 he was buried beside her kind of sounds like he ate his feelings people always say she was the only one he ever loved but a she gave him a son and b she wasn't really around long enough to fall foul of his temper no and i mean you've got that thing where he warned of what happened to the people that interfered before so it's likely that she probably would have done something later on down the line Definitely. We're never going to know what would have happened had she lived. It was certainly the longest he was single. As we've seen, he tended to marry like within a few days of divorce. Yeah, like always knew what was coming up. 
Henry's drive for a son saw one wife discarded and one executed on trumped-up charges. It just shows that in the Tudor era, a woman's worth was tied to her ability to deliver her husband a son. And whilst Jane is considered his favourite, we have to remember that she wasn't alive long enough to do something to upset him. So who's to know what would have happened to her? In part two, we're going to be looking at the next three of Henry's wives, starting with Anne of Cleves, who... uh, History popularly remembers her as as the Flanders mayor. Before moving on to Catherine Howard, who the best quote I've ever heard is that she was an airheaded bimbo. And Catherine Parr, who was seen as the nurse figure in his life. So until next time, take care of yourselves and each other.